You are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland, Maine, and broadcast on 1310 AM Portland, streaming live each week at 11 AM on WLOBradio.com. Show summaries are available at doctorlisa.org. Download and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial through iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Here are some highlights from this week's program. We have the opportunity to create a dialogue. What the boys and the girls understand is they're both experiencing challenges that are often based on the way we narrowly define gender and create gender stereotypes. So in talking about that, they all feel liberated in a certain way and kind of raise up and say, you know, we don't have to, we don't necessarily have to live this way. We don't have to perform this way because none of us really want to. I'm calling it respect, which is a sense of phys- physical contact that's, that's real, that has meaning, that has my awareness behind it. And so contact that has awareness is, I think, deeply respectful. It's a meeting. That feels like the best way, I think, that I can think of to talk about giving that respect specifically. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, Booth, UNE, the University of New England, and Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. Hello, this is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 40, Raising Good Men which is airing for the first time on WLOB Radio on June 17th, 2012, Father's Day. Today we will be speaking with Roger Martin and Drew Wing from the Boys to Men organization and Dameron Midget of Body Knowledge. Joining me in the studio today, as every week, is our co-host Genevieve Morgan. How are you, Genevieve? I'm great, Lisa. How are you? I'm great. I love Father's Day. It's maybe one of my favorite sort of non-holiday holidays. It sort of is the heralding of real summer. Yes, there is the summer. There's that sort of um, sun energy, which is the very yang energy from a Chinese medicine standpoint. And, of course, men are yang. So it's, it's a good time of year. I'm very happy today. That's great. And are you thinking of your dad today, Lisa? I think about my dad a lot. I think about both my parents, and they both had such a significant influence on my Obviously, my younger years, but also my um, my role as a physician and teacher and parent. Um, I didn't get to talk about my mom that much during our Mother's Day show, but I, I she provided a very strong um, yin influence to my dad's young. My dad is a doctor. He's in the community. He does family medicine. He actually won Family Physician of the Year several years ago. People, a lot of people know him. He's Dr. Charlie. Um, my mom provided the balance behind the scenes while I was growing up. Before she became a teacher, she she raised us as ten children, um, sort of almost single-handedly while he was on call a lot. So I, I'm I'm kind of giving a shout out to my mom, even though it's Father's Day. Before I go on and just talk about what an influence my dad had, had on me, he um, he was really always about the way he cared for his patients that made me want to be a doctor. And even though I don't practice exactly the type of medicine that he practices, um, I, I hope that I'm practicing it in a manner that he would be proud of. Was he supportive of your pursuits? Always was. 
Um, he's at the family practice residency program here at the Maine Medical Center, which is where I trained. And I trained as a family doctor, and then I got a master's in public health. But when I went on and did traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture, he couldn't have been more behind me. He is always about what works for um, his children as individuals. Also, he's always about doing the best thing for patients. So when he saw that what I was doing for um, training was going to help patients, he was he was right there. And I think that's what our show is really trying to get to today, which is moving beyond what traditional gender roles and stereotypes might be inherited from our fathers and our grandfathers into what a new idea of being a father and being uh, that masculine energy could look like for men who are raising children now because we're at a time when when everything's kind of moving beyond the envelope and it's exciting to me that the guests that are coming on are really impacting change in our community on that level. Well, tell me about your father. I know that you you have two boys. I do. So there must have been some influencing on your parenting style from coming from your father. My memories of my dad, really, I would say what I got from my dad is a, a sense of adventure. He, even now, he's 75, turning 75, and in two weeks, he's heading off for the Arctic for three weeks. And he is uh, has always, in, in, in his own way, modeled that for me to just take the take the blinders off and do what feels right. So I really honor my dad for that. I have five brothers, as we've talked about before. They're all younger, and several of them were very active and kept my parents on their toes. And then when I had my son, um, who's 18 now, he was he was like all of my brothers rolled into one, all five of them. And I did exactly what you did. I, I chased him everywhere. I remember we would go to concerts in the park. And instead of listening to the pretty music, he'd be trying to run out in the streets. Um, this is a child that needed to be in every sport, every season, all the time. He had so much energy. He was so physical. And, and we actually had issues early on because the way he would interact with his environment, which I think is very common of boys, was to sort of push outward with his physicality. And he didn't mean to be rough, but he needed to understand that sort of being more pushy and more physical, that didn't really work for everybody. So, Well, I think boys tend to, in that sense of adventure, explore with their bodies. And girls are, have more of a tendency, and this is obviously very wide generalization, because as you said, everybody has both, um, tend to explore verbally or are more comfortable exploring verbally. And so sometimes I think boys get pushed back Uh, when actually all they're really doing is exploring, and they don't need a lot of negative feedback. They just need to have better channeling. Well, channeling and boundaries, and I think the best thing that we can do as parents, and specifically female parents, is just to understand what their innate natures are, understand what their personalities are like, because again, you're right, every boy is different. Some are more physical, some are um, more cerebral. Just understand that and, and give children sort of the space they need, but also kind of fence off that space to make sure that it's safe, making sure your kid doesn't run out into the road or doesn't fall into the frog pond or, you know, whatever that takes. But also give them the chance to be emotional, which we will talk to um, Drew and Roger from Boys to Men about, because there is an emotional aspect of being male that sometimes gets um, short shrift in our culture. And it's something that's very important as boys grow into men to learn how to um, access for themselves. And I think for men today who maybe grew up in a different, perhaps more stifling environment to realize that it's never too late 
to model that kind of behavior for the boys in their community. They don't even have to be fathers. Right. And it's also never too late if you grew up in an environment where you weren't sort of enabled, you weren't given the chance to be physical, to have that physical energy. It's never too late, as Dameron Majette will talk to us about, to learn how to um, work with your body in a different way. So we hope that, we know that listeners will be inspired in listening to our guest today on our Father's Day show. Listen to us talk about boy energy, raising good men, and we wish, well, I wish my father, Dr. Charlie, um, the happiest of Father's Days. Uh, I'm wishing my grandfathers who are no longer with us, but also the happiest of Father's Days. And Genevieve? Yes, I wish my father a very happy Father's Day. And happy Father's Day to all of you who are listening out there who are fathers yourselves or have father figures. And for those of you who aren't, then please give your nearest father figure a hug. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is pleased to be sponsored by the University of New England. As part of the University of New England sponsorship of our show, we offer our Wellness Innovation segment. Today's Wellness Innovation is folic acid may reduce some childhood cancers. Folic acid fortification of foods may reduce the incidence of the most common type of kidney cancer and a type of brain tumors in children, says a new study out of the Brown School at Washington University and the University of Minnesota. Since 1998, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has mandated fortification of foods with folic acid because earlier studies show that prenatal consumption of folic acid significantly reduces the incidence of neural tube defects in babies. This study is the largest to date to show that folic acid fortification may also lower the incidence of certain types of childhood cancer in the United States and is published in the May 2012 issue of Pediatrics. For more information on this wellness innovation, visit doctorlisa.org. For more information on the University of New England, visit une.edu. This portion of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast has been brought to you by the University of New England, UNE, an innovative health sciences university grounded in the liberal arts. UNE is the number one educator of health professionals in Maine. Learn more about the University of New England at une.edu. This morning on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we're speaking with two men who are helping us celebrate this very important weekend, Father's Day weekend, by discussing a very important organization, the Boys to Men organization here in Maine. So thank you for coming in today. We have... Drew Wing, who is the executive director of Boys to Men, and we have Roger Martin, who is the chairman of the board of directors for the Boys to Men organization. Thank you. Good morning. Good Thank morning. You. Well, let's start by asking about your own children. Drew, your children, I think, must be a little younger. A little bit younger. I have a boy, Gus, who's seven, and a daughter, Lucy, who's 11. Nice. And Roger, how about you? Yes, I have two boys, uh, Brandon, who's 22. Uh, lives right here on Congress Street in Maine, and uh, my son Devin, who's 20, and is currently studying chemical engineering at Worcester Polytechnic Institute. So you're at very different ends of the spectrum. Absolutely, yeah. Drew, how did being a father change you? Being a father made me much more conscious about how I wanted to show up on a daily basis. I mean, you definitely start looking at the things that you're doing and how your children 
are looking at those things and what they're learning from from how I am in the world. And um, so in some ways it made me just, you know, think a little bit harder about how I was showing up and how I was modeling for my children. And Roger, would you agree? Well, what has your experience been? Yeah, and I guess I, what I would add to that uh, with what with what you said uh, is is around watching your watching your boys grow up and allowing them to experience the the, the different difficulties that that they will go through that all people will go through um, you know as they become uh, adolescents and then uh, and then young adults. And uh, with with my boys, they've they've been through all of that cycle, and one of the things that's interesting for me now is coming out of it on the back end, to be able to sit down and have conversation with them around what it was like um, for 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 them to have me as a dad, and then for me to tell them what it was like to be to be a dad uh, to them and to share those experiences. And, and I found I found that to be very rewarding over the last couple of years. Well, give me a few examples. Tell me what they said to you. What was it like to have you as a dad? Yeah, I, I think they really um, appreciated the, the support that I gave them, the ability for them um, to take chances, to take risks, um, and also to ask for help when, when they needed it and for me to be there to be able to provide that help and, and support. Uh, my youngest boy is, is very quiet um, and went through a time, that very difficult period in, in middle school uh, where, where he really struggled. Uh, he uh, was a subject of, of bullying and, and had uh, some difficulties making it through, through that time. And uh, between his older brother, uh, my wife, and myself, uh, we really helped him through that. And today he understands that and he appreciates us for that. And, um, and, and it really feels good to, to, to know that I did something really well to, to help him move along in his life. Give me some background on the Boys to Men organization. How long has it been in existence and, and what's, the, what's the mission? Yeah, so Boys to Men has been around for about 15 years now. We started out as a community coalition um, and then became a, a full um, nonprofit organization about 10 years ago now. Um, it was started up by our founder, Lane Gregory. Uh, and the mission was we really came at it from the perspective of reducing interpersonal violence. And the reality is, is that the great majority of violence is perpetrated by boys and men in the world. So the idea was, well, if we're going to stop this violence um, of male-to-male male -male violence and male violence against women, we really need to work with boys and men um, because the work that had been done previously that had come out of the women's movement um, was not really addressing or targeting you know that that population of, of where the violence was coming from so that was the beginning and and then but the underlying philosophy of boys to men is that despite the problems that we see going on with boys and that's not just male violence against women but that's a decline in academic performance um, it's emotional trauma uh, it's it's a number of issues that are affecting boys in a way that 
that's that doesn't reflect how how we want our boys to be and the health that we want to see for them so we acknowledge that there's these problems going on that statistically we can look at and say yes this is true but at the same time we believe that our boys aren't broken they weren't born into the world this way they didn't come out wanting to be violent against themselves against each other um, to perform poorly in school, um, to not show up as the leaders that we really want them to be. They didn't. They didn't. They weren't born that way. So we believe it's a culture. There's a cultural issue in terms of how we're defining masculinity um, through the media and the role modeling that boys are getting about what it needs to be a man. That's really in need of repair. In contrast to boys themselves. Roger, was your experience with your son's bullying? Um, a key reason for either getting or staying involved with the Boys to Men organization? The, the organization and in, in its mission really hit home with me uh, in terms of my emotions and my feelings and really wh how I wanted, to, wanted my boys to be like and how I wanted them to grow up. And I, and I think you're right. As I thought more and more about Boys to Men, I thought back to that experience of my youngest son being bullied in middle school and, and saying to myself, boy, we need to do things to, to try to stop that so that young boys, as they're growing up, uh, can really act the way that they were, that, that, were, that were all meant to act, which is showing emotion, which is sharing feelings, which is building relationships with other boys and other girls, um, and, and not having to, to play this macho bully, bullying kind of uh, persona. So, Drew, how do you accomplish that? Um, so our, our work is designed to, coming from that kind of that foundational belief that boys are not broken, but rather it's a culture that's in need of change, we view ourselves as a, as a social change organization. So we work within three spheres of influence in the lives of boys. We work with peers, the peers of boys. Um, we work with parents and then we work with educators, coaches um, to help them think about the culture and the messaging that they're creating um, and the support they're giving to boys. Um, and you know, and we work directly with boys themselves. Um, but it's working on those different spheres of influence is the way that we start challenging these ideas that boys can't be emotional, that they have to be tough all the time, that the one emotion that's okay to show is anger, um, and that masculinity is dis defined in terms of sexual conquest and violence and stupidity. We work within those spheres to, to, challenge, to challenge the ideas that they're sending to boys about masculinity. And is this done through educational programming? Yeah, we have several different programs. So um, with parents, we do a number of workshops, film series, book clubs throughout the year. We also have a program uh, called Boot Camp for New Dads, which we run at Maine Medical Center and Mercy Hospital um, two weekends a month where we have da dads who are going to be dads for the first time um, participating with veteran dads who show up with their baby and they learn skills and talk about how their life is going to change um, when they have a new child. Uh, that, that program's generously supported by Unum, I would, I would add, so. Um, and we should just jump in here. Roger, you have a position at Unum. You want to just tell everybody what that is? Cause sure. Thank you. I, I am the uh, Chief Financial Officer of Unum's U.S. Businesses, and I work uh, out of here in Portland, Maine. 
So it's, it's interesting that Unum would feel so strongly about an organization such as Boys to Men that it would put, you know, financial support behind it. So do yeah, you want to address that, Roger? Sure, absolutely. You know, we um, at Unum, we're, we're very supportive of the community and also very supportive of enhancing and improving uh, Maine's education. And if you think about one of the tenets of Boys to Men, it really is around respect and tolerance, respect and tolerance for each other. And, you know, the programs that Boys to Men offer, particularly in the schools, uh, as it relates to reducing sexism, sexism and violence uh, in the schools, is, is right up that sort of enhancing and improving that education, uh, that educational experience. And I hope is as we create uh, young men and young women who um, are more respectful and have more tolerance, um, you know, for this environment, that will help us create better leaders. It will it'll help us create uh, students who will stay in Maine and want to work in Maine, uh, and create a better better workforce for the state of Maine as well. We'll return to our interview after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. Robin Hodgkin, Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney in Portland, Maine. For all your investment needs, call Robin Hodgkin at 207-771-0888. Investments and services are offered through Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC, member SIPC. And by Booth, Accounting and Business Management Services, Payroll and Bookkeeping. Business is done better with Booth. Go to boothmain.com for more information. Uh, tell us more about the programs that yeah. are being offered, Drew. Uh, yeah, so the boot camp for new dads and just the parenting workshops we do is one aspect of it. Another piece of the, of the work is the program that we do with peers. So going into the schools, and we have a program called uh, RSVP, which is Reducing Sexism and Violence Program, and that's an intensive bystander intervention program that we deliver to high school students. We take them away on a two-day retreat, and then there's two follow-up days at school, um, and they learn... Uh, value clarification, practical scenario, uh, practical scenarios so that when they see harassment um, and simply incidents going on that they don't think are okay, that they know how to step in safely um, and either uh, directly intervene, find help from uh, from an administrator or a school teacher, or somehow interject or put themselves into a situation where they can be an effective bystander rather than just letting the situation happen. Um, and then, so that's our, we have the we have the parents, the peers, and then the educators. We have an arm of our organization called the Maine Boys Network. And we do some, we do some research and we also bring research forward about what's going on uh, with boys, academic boys academically, and what we can do to better support um, their learning and to help them do better and better in school. Uh, the other piece of what we're doing there with educators and coaches this year is we'll be launching a new program called Coaching Boys into Men, and that's a program. It's a national program that actually comes to us through Futures Without Violence, another great organization, and we'll be um, implementing that program in high schools. Um, uh, across the state and the main coalition uh, for ending domestic violence will also be working on that initiative. Do the boys in your program express some sense of relief or joy or a kind of a, a, 
a sense of understanding and being accepted once you once you support their values, these inner emotional values that perhaps might, in their school setting, be stifled. Once they're let out of that emotional straitjacket, yeah, what happens? Um, well, the the program that we do directly with boys, particularly the RSVP program, we also have um, girls involved in that program. So really, what we you know the we have the opportunity to create a dialogue and. And what we, what the boys and the girls understand is they're both experiencing um, challenges that are often based on the way we narrowly define gender and create gender stereotypes. So, in talking about that, they all feel liberated in a certain way and kind of raise up and say, you know, we don't have to, we don't necessarily have to live this way. We don't have to perform this way because none of us really want to. So that's liberating for both the boys and the girls. I think. Um, one of the things, one of the aha moments that happens for the boys in our program is when they hear from the girls about the girls' daily experience in terms of the things they have to think about to remain safe, to not be sexually assaulted on a daily basis. We ask the guys the same question, you know, what do you do to remain safe? What do you guys have to think about um, to, to avoid, specifically around the scenario of being sexually assaulted? And the boys say nothing there's nothing they have to say other than stay out of jail and the girls will quickly fill up a sheet of paper a poster board sheet of paper with all the things they have to do carry my keys think about where I'm gonna walk think about what I'm gonna wear um, and the list goes on and on and at that point I watch the boys almost every time their jaw drops and they didn't realize that their friends oftentimes these are girls that they're best friends with are having a totally different experience so that's morally kind of an aha moment for the boys and when they see that they they're like they want to be part of kind of a change um, they don't like being lumped they don't like the idea that girls, girls that they like and that they care about are feeling unsafe around other boys and men and that they're lumped into that. They're like, this is not good. I have a question that yeah. is directly related to that. You guys can choose who wants to answer it. But I grew up in New York City in the 70s and the 80s, and I went to an all-girls school. And we were taught from a very young age to avoid any grouping of boys. So that if there was more than two boys on the street, you cross the street and went away. Because boys have a tendency to be fine on their own, but when they're in a larger group, that that can change their temperament momentarily. And I'm wondering, in terms of the bullying, Roger, or in terms of some of these peer groups, is it peer pressure part of this? That boys who naturally wouldn't behave this way might behave in a more violent or aggressive way when they're in a group? Um. We don't really, I mean, we don't really address that group dynamic. I mean, we're, we're talking, most of what we talk about is the messaging that they're getting about what it means to be a man and then how they want to show up and how they want to participate when they see something going on that's, um, that's not right and that they know is not right. But isn't that the hard part, to show up as an individual when six of your friends are misbehaving, it's very difficult. If you're 14 years old, it's very hard to rise up against four of your friends. So, so one of the things that I've noticed in experiencing these programs and watching films of them and experiencing them myself uh, is that the, the boys sort of stand there and when they go through this aha moment and, and they see the, the, the girls write the list down of all the things they need to worry about, and the boys go through that aha moment, they take a moment and they look at each other and, and they see if they're all going through that aha moment. And for the most part, you can, you can see that they are. 
And, and, and I think that's a breakthrough, and there's an understanding there. The other thing I would add about sort of the moral behavior and, and the breakthrough for these boys is the other thing I have seen is what happens after we leave the schools with these programs. Um, and where we have very successful programs and there are some young adults there who, who will be the future leaders and have really been hit well hit home with this program, they'll keep it alive. So we have schools where students have kept this program alive and they've taken on and run programs of their, uh, on, on their own, um, whether it be for different classes or different kinds of, uh, different kinds of events. We just held a program a couple of weeks ago uh, at the Portland Library and we had a, a, a young, young man, a senior from high school, come and talk to us about how his life has been impacted by this program. And it really was amazing about how it really, it, it hit home with him and he will take that with him for the rest of his life. So we know we're making a difference there and, and that will help them, help these young boys and girls grow into more healthy adults uh, on a go forward basis. And I think your question is, is right on. It is difficult, and, and we, don't, we don't sugarcoat it to say that it's not. I mean, one of the fundamental things that we talk about in this program is this is about leadership, and what does it take to be a leader? And one of the things that they identify when we do this is it takes courage. So standing up to whether it's your own peer group or, or another group and saying, I don't think this is right, um, is, is challenging, and it's challenging for all of us. And that certainly doesn't change for a 13 or 14-year-old student. And Well, that seems to be the essence of the new manhood then, is to have that kind of emotional courage to stand up when you see something wrong happening. Exactly. And to kind of flip the idea of kind of the masculine idea of what does it mean to ha have your buddies back? What does that mean? Does that mean to cover up for him, to jump in when he finds himself in a physical altercation and fight with him? Is that what it means to have my, my friends back? Or does it mean that I'm going to look out for his emotional well-being, that when I see him involved in a situation or acting a way that I don't think he should or that he doesn't think he should, am I going to allow him to do that or am I going to challenge him on that? I have a question for both of you. What did you learn from your own fathers that has impacted your lives most significantly, whether it's just living life in general or whether it's parenting your children? So my dad um, was a firefighter and a, and a plumber by trade. Uh, so he worked 60, 70, 80 hours a week. Um, there were, he, my mom and, and my dad had five children. Uh, he put us all through school uh, on his own. Uh, on today, which would be a, a salary which would be slightly above sort of poverty level. Um, and, and the most important thing that, uh, that, that he taught me was around my feelings, to share my feelings, to, to cry when I needed to, to be mad when I needed to, but to do it in a, in a respectful way, to have dialogue, to have conversation, um, and, and to not hold things, um, not hold things in and, and have that create uh, sort of a problem for me. And I remember back having uh, family discussions. So it was three boys and two girls in my, in my family and having those family discussions. And that was one of the things that my dad insisted upon was we would have family discussions and talk about, the, talk about whatever was going on in our lives 
in the city that we lived in, in the nation that we lived in uh, at, at the time. And, uh, and for that, I really thank him because uh, having, uh, being able to share uh, that emotion and that feeling in, in today's world, I think, has really helped me be uh, a better leader, uh, a better father, uh, a better friend to, to my wife and, and my friends uh, that I have. Very nice. You know, I think when I think of my dad and what I learned from him, he, he would always say this. I mean, this is r repetitive. Is I expect you to be a gentleman, a scholar, and an athlete in that order. And I think I've carried that with me um, a lot. And you know, not that that's the perfect model for everyone, but it ended up being a pretty decent model for me. And I reflect on that often and um, ask myself, um, you know, first of all, am I behaving here like a gentleman? And am I thinking critically? Have I thought through the issue? Um, and, you know, the athletic part is, am I having fun? And am I living a healthy, you know, am I living a healthy life? So I think that was great. The other thing I learned from my dad was, um, you know, he was a he worked for the community and worked to support the community and really put a lot of time into making sure um, the people around us were taken care of. Uh, and that was a value that I took from my dad. And then one final thing was, as I always remember him saying is, um, work with good, talented people and, and then get out of their way and let them, let them work. So that's, that's just one of the other things I remember him saying and I, I often think about. How can people learn more about the Boys to Men organization? Um, the best way to learn a little bit about our organization is just going to our website, mainboystomen.org, and there's a lot of great information there. We're also on Facebook, that which gives you a lot of our current current things that are going on, and uh, we're always welcome to you know pick up the phone, call us locally, and just have ask us questions and see how you can get involved. Well, thank you. We've been talking to Drew Wing, who is the executive director of Boys to Men, and also Roger Martin, who is the chairman of the board of directors of Boys to Men, each of them a father, and um, each of them, I hope, celebrating this Father's Day with their children in a wonderful, wonderful way. We thank you so much for the work you're doing in the community. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you very much. A chronic ache. Sleepless nights, a feeling of something being not quite right. Treat the symptoms with traditional medications, feel better for a little while, and continue with your busy days. But have you ever stopped to consider the what that's at the core of a health issue? Most times it goes much deeper than you think. And when you don't treat the root cause, the aches, the sleeplessness, and not quite right come back. They don't have to. You can take a step towards a healthier, more centered life. Schedule an appointment with Dr. Lisa Belisle and learn how a practice that combines traditional medicine with Eastern healing practices can put you on the right path to better living. For more information, call the Body Architect in Portland at 207-774-2196 or visit doctorlisa.org today. Healthy living is a journey. Take the first step. This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. 
honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. And by Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. With offices in Yarmouth, Maine, the Shepard Financial team is there to help you evolve with your money. For more information on Shepherd Financial's refreshing perspective on investing, please email tom at shepherdfinancialmain.com. Our next guest for the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and podcast is Dameron Midget, who I will um, turn over to my co-host Genevieve Morgan because she's had spent some time with Dameron and I think that they've had an interesting conversation. That's true, Lisa, we have. Uh, Dameron and I met as part of my job as wellness editor at Maine Magazine, I'm always on the lookout for people doing interesting things in, in therapeutics and healing in Maine. And Dameron has had a long history in our state of really body awareness and kinesthetic movement, particularly in the fields of martial arts and structural reintegration. So Dameron, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Dameron, when we brought you into the studio, or just before, you were doing some movements to um, work on, I guess, spatial awareness, was what you told me. Yeah. Tell me what you were doing and why this was important. Why would you do this before you came on a show? Mm. Well, uh, we're creatures of habit. You know, this is how we, as you watch kids run around and do their thing, and uh, once they get to a certain point with something, uh, they get good enough at walking. They're not really going to refine that so, so much. It, it refines as they grow. But uh, we often don't always have the best possible answer for, for what we're doing at the moment as we grow into adults. and We carry compensations and history from various things. And uh, I love to sort of press the reset button on that every once in a while and uh, remind my nervous system of the full range of possibilities as opposed to what I normally use so that I have... Um, a little bit more freedom and choice available to me. Uh, I find that that's underneath most of the problems that people uh, that I run into when people come to me looking for, you know, a whole range of things, everything from athletic performance to freedom from, you know, this problem, that problem. So you were problem. trying to create an openness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, most, what we accept as normal in this culture is a very small percentage of what's possible for humans, our minds, our bodies. Uh, and so I would call it opening up the field again to a lot more of what I'm capable of, um, you know, at least in the physical realm. We're here talking about raising good men, and you're a dad. And you and I have talked a lot about boy energy. And one of the problems that boys have often in school is that idea of boy energy and not being aware of space. I remember my eldest, when he was in fifth grade, got sent home from school because he backed into a teacher and stepped on her toe. And she was really angry that she felt that he wasn't respecting her. And I was sort of like, well, he's in fifth grade and he's not aware of his body in yes. space. So how does that relate to what you're talking about? Well, I think that one of the reasons that boy energy is a problem, possibly more in this culture than other cultures, is that I think the, the world they're growing into isn't really physically aware, but that's such an emphasis of that growing process. And so it doesn't fit as they're running around testing things physically uh, that causes problems because often the grown-ups around them aren't that comfortable with physical exploration or you know there's a person in that teacher who you know responded to something that didn't have much intention and put a story on it and you know if somebody's um, comfortable in their 
you know, in their physical presence, they might be more aware that somebody's coming at them or they might just go, oh, well, that didn't feel like it was aggressive. It felt like somebody stepped on my foot. Ow. <laughs> you know, and then, and then let it go. But often, uh, because we're, <clears throat> we're often at a, little, at a little bit of arm's length with the body, uh, then uh, we start making stories about what comes in instead of just feeling it. And I think, you know, my baseline for a lot of things, I think, is awareness. That's what boys need is... That's what men need. That's what people need in general is masculine energy. I think everybody needs awareness. Uh, and often we sort of, we okay, either you're not aware or you're, we're going to teach you awareness for something. It's like, no, let's just make that a baseline so that we're aware of ourselves and uh, the tendencies, tendencies we have, what we have around us, kind of the whole, the whole spectrum. Now, I don't want to call you out, but mm -hmm. you, you have this sort of big kid energy <laughs> and you're a big person yes so yes. i don't know how tall are you six four okay so you're six four mm -hmm. and you're kind of a big kid and mm -hmm. i have five brothers so i'm yeah. used to big kids and yeah. a big son yeah so um how do people take your kid energy and your boyishness and your yeah yeah i have a, a great story about that my dad was a very very big person very passionate um and when I first, one of my early jobs was in uh, outdoor sales. I worked at an outdoor equipment store in Los Angeles when I was going to school there. And uh, very passionate and, you know, interested in what I was doing and helping people out. But my manager called me inside one time and he said, you know, I, I, I love your enthusiasm, but you've scared a couple of, <laughs> of customers. So can you work on toning that down a little bit? And at that point I had this, I couldn't not project. I... I, it was just my voice was loud and I, I wanted to be near people and for some folks that was a little bit too much. It strikes me that this may be an issue for more than just you. Um, again, having the five brothers myself. Yeah. How do you learn to channel that energy? The, the first, the introduction for me was martial arts. Uh, at right about that time, I had started uh, training in a, a fairly aggressive style and uh, that was the first point in my life where I'd had a lot of, my father was close, but he passed away when I was young. And uh, I hadn't had a lot of physical, sort of intense physical contact. One older sister, no wrestling, no, none of that. And I remember distinctly the sensation of leaving a class, having spent an hour or two beating the crap out of some really good friends and feeling so deeply satisfied by the contact. I remember the sensation of fists and part of me, part of my mind is going, what? And scratching my head. I had no real way of understanding it at that point, but feeling happy and relaxed and content, satisfied at some level with that contact. And um, that was the beginning of it. Unfortunately, there was also more um, there was a story around that kind of training, which often happens with martial arts, where there'll be Tai Chi is, it's about relaxation. And so if you want intensity, sorry, there's uh, martial arts that are about intensity. So if you want relaxation or subtlety or uh, some balance for health purposes, not so much. Um, I've had to find my way to something that has that for me and sort of developed my own perspective on it. But um, so there was a lot of, there was more aggression to that and it was keying me up. And eventually, even though I was quite successful in it and doing very well and, you know, good relationship with the whole school. I had to, I had to move on because I was treating everything in my life as a potentially threatening interaction.
to, to defend myself against, to be wary of, hypervigilance, which isn't a healthy state. So that was, you know, learning how to deal with that, I think, takes awareness and acceptance of uh, things that we traditionally sometimes judge in the culture, intensity, um, <clears throat> sometimes discomfort, uh, the things that we're not happy with about ourselves, you know, learning to accept all those different parts, um, particularly if they're physical. And then from there, we can begin to look around and go, oh, well, this is what this needs. This is what that needs. And I think for, for boys and men, particularly, it's, uh, it, it has to be, or it feels like for me, it's been largely a physical process. Men and boys have a need for that physical expression, that kind of vitality, and like you said, the wrestling and boxing. And how do you find a useful expression for that in today's society for all those boys and men listening today? I think it's it's important to find a foot in the door. Eventually, I would hope that it wouldn't be something separate from the normal process of living. But often we need something to introduce us to that. And uh, for me, uh, the thing that's found uh, the most richness recently, I've been teaching for about five years something called Sistema, which is a Russian uh, martial uh, training system, not really an art. It doesn't have a particular look. The purpose is more to help you. The original translation of what it's known as in Russian often is Poznai or know thyself, or learn yourself, discover yourself. Um, so most of the training is focused on self-awareness, particularly in intense situations. And so uh, the idea being that if you can be calm in the extreme, the normal will be easy. I think practices that give people a chance to explore all of the different states that might be comfortable or practical or needing of expression, needing of feeling uh, in a way that doesn't push them farther away or keep them at a distance, but that brings them in so that we can learn more about them. And most uh, physical intensity has a pretty particular, it goes over here, this is what it's about, and we're going to leave it there. It's MMA, it's boxing, it's, um, you know, the extreme sports. What? Weightlifting. Weightlifting, which can be, yeah, very much a, you know, let's get harder, stronger, bigger, you know a lot of that idea and just changing the question or the purpose of training into why do I want to do this you know okay it may not you know a lot of times stuff like that it can be intense it can hurt and as a culture we don't often like to we'll sort of revel in it but we don't necessarily get comfortable in it even the people I know who've done really extreme things weren't comfortable in themselves so you're really talking about redefining strength into a kind of suppleness. Yes, yes. Uh, being able to bring your all of your energy, as intense as it may be, uh, physical, uh, psychic, you know, mental and emotional energy, to bear on whatever it needs in a way that doesn't lose you being able to listen and being able to respond to everything that's happening in the situation. In Sistema, we talk about uh, a lot about calm under stress. If I do, if I punch with a rigid arm, I can't feel what's on the other end of that. I've desensitized myself physically. 
if I am able to make contact with somebody in a relaxed way, then I'm still listening. I can feel their body. I can feel what's going on for them. I'm open and receptive. Even if I'm doing something that's possibly fairly intense, fairly direct, keeping those channels open, being able to remain aware while we exercise these parts of ourselves and let them out, um, I think is, is the key. Well, that kind of responsiveness and awareness, how has that affected your own fathering? I would say, I mean, when I first started training in Sistema, the, the, the thing that really sold me on it, because the training, some of it's intense. Some of it's very intense. Some of the folks that train it are ex-military, current military. And, you know, I, I have a little more of a health focus because that's what I've been doing for a long, long time. But uh, the thing that really sold me on it was I came back from my first long intensive and noticed immediately the difference in my ability to be present with my kids. That something would come up and there would be a three-year-old tantrum and I would take that in-breath of, this is driving me crazy, and then go, oh, and just be able to to, to, to find space in that moment and take a breath and let my body let go of any responses, emotionally, you know, any kind of response that I um, was sort of going to react with as opposed to actually respond, to be present. Um, and, I mean, sometimes the intensity isn't even something in the moment that could lose us. Our sensitivity isn't even something we ask for. It's just something that's that's there, we're, we're, we're particularly sensitive to something. I'm thinking of road rage. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That kind of thing. Then we're, we're actually a prisoner to that because we have this place that can get pushed on and we're going to respond a certain way. We have no ability to make a choice about it. And so beginning to be able to make more and more choices and better choices, have more of our resources available in no matter what, no matter what the stressor is, yelling kids, somebody cut us off, somebody threatening us. It's, it's all the same pathway in the body. So, We'll return to our interview after acknowledging the following generous sponsor, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, makers of Dr. John's Brainola cereal. Find them on the web at orthopedicspecialistsme.com. What kind of commitment do you have to have to maintain this ability to stay present in the moment? It's easy to say in the yeah. abstract, but from a practical standpoint, as a yes. parent, how do yeah. you do that on a day-to-day -day basis? Part of it, uh, well, I'd say a lot of it is making, is trying to make sure that it doesn't take a lot of mental commitment. There's a commitment to establishing different habits, to being willing to feel, actually, because there's this idea, I think, in our culture about parenting and a lot of other things, that if things are going well, this is how it's supposed to feel. It's supposed to feel um, nice and maybe orderly and like we're, we're good and all this stuff. And actually, <clears throat> in a world that we don't have fundamental control over, uh, being in the best place often doesn't feel very good. <laughs> and so a, 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 a willingness to embrace that idea and say, oh, it may feel worse for me to embrace my my desire to respond to something because I have to actually tap into that. If I don't, it's just going to come flying out. It'll fly by and I'll go, oh, I feel better now. But 
because I kept it at arm's length and I'm still not gaining, I'm not gaining um, the ability to sort of have a relationship with it and have some choice about how I express it. So that decision up front can be tough. However, for me being very kinesthetic, I love being able to work it out physically. And it's amazing how when you get into a physical arena, uh, the way Sistema trains often, they say, you know, you can tell somebody something a hundred times, but if they mess it up once and they get bopped in the head, they're going to remember. Making sure that we do things that create different habits so that the, the, that basic, the thing that arises is different than it was before. So it's not a mental exercise of, I'm going to do this right. It doesn't work because by the time that kicks in, it's already done. So we need to retrain our, 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 a lot of our deeper feeling state, our autonomic nervous system, so that we have a different uh, response to things. For someone who's so responsive, you've really watched your kids. And when we've spoken before, you've had insight into what you feel you needed as a boy growing up and what you're trying to give your son and daughters mm. growing up. And what, can you just tell us more about that? I think that awareness piece uh, is, is huge. And it shows up differently for different, uh, for girls and boys, or, and that's, it's energy. You know, that every, every kid is a different mix of uh, masculine and feminine, those archetypes, uh, those, you know, sort of ways of being in the world. But uh, for boys in particular, it feels like, and I'm, you know, in the middle of this, he's four, turn, no, turn five today. Um, so, uh, and then I have two older, you know, he's got two older sisters, but um Something it's, I'm calling it respect, which is this um, sort of a physical awareness of I'm here, and and this is this is where I am, warts and all. This is you know sort of how I feel in myself, whether that's good or not. And there you are, and how you're feeling, and all of it, and accepting it. And oh, that's not right. That's not that's that's where you are right now, and being able to allow that not try to sort of you know change who they are but particularly physically say look this is this is your body and here's and I I respect your authority sort of your ability to make choices over some limited thing you know small kid not too much authority that will grow as they get older but um, and giving him that a sense of physical physical contact that's that's real that has meaning that has my awareness behind it it's not just Roughhousing usually when it gets too much, it's because people have just they've gotten angry. They're no longer there, and so contact that has awareness is, I think, deeply respectful. It's a meeting, and that's the um, that feels like the best way I think that I can think of to 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 talk about giving that respect specifically. Um, so seeing him as other, not only his in his men mental state, but in his physical state, and keeping those physical boundaries yourself. So with the hugs and the wrestling and the sports and the this and the that, that you as a man kind of prescribe his boundaries with uh, respect to him. I help show him where they are, I think. And I do that by, hopefully by having my own clear, because that's they imitate more than they do anything for years, the first years of their lives. Um, so hopefully I'm a good model of that. I have no idea, <laughs> you know, because uh, I don't have a mirror of that kind in the house. But um, 
But when I am around him, particularly physically, being aware with my touch, being aware physically so that he, because then that's going to, we get a taste of somebody's state when we touch them, no matter how that touch is, whether it's body work or martial arts or loving touch in a family or whatever. Um, and so really, the more that I show up, the more he's going to go, oh, I feel that. And oh, I, I can, I feel, you know, I feel myself. It's the beginning of sort of shaping that. So it's sort of teaching, uh, trying to teach it from the outside or just giving an example of it where he'll, that he can fill into. And then the roughhousing is fine because it's, it feels right. It's not, oh, I'm supposed to roughhouse with my boy. And maybe he doesn't want to then or at all. You know, <laughs> some don't. Dameron, if you could go back to yourself as a younger person and give yourself assurances that everything was going to be fine and that you didn't need to act a certain way, or what would you say to yourself? What, what, how would you do anything differently, or what advice would you give? Mm, that's a very good question. I, pretty much throughout my life, have always wanted to understand that I would be a 12 in the middle of various 12-year-old angsts I would look up at the stars and say, I just want to figure this out, you know, which I'm, I don't know. I mean, looking around from the outside, it looked like other people had different questions they were asking, but who knows, um, and talking about it in the biggest sense. And I think I would go back and tell myself that I don't need to, that that's not the point. It's an interesting goal. It carries you a lot of great places. Um, but that it's much more interesting, more worthwhile, more rewarding to just feel what's happening, to just show up. And then the rest of it may actually get answered easier than you think, but um, it's not, um, you're not gonna get there that way necessarily. So I think I would do that. Sage advice to yourself and to those who are listening to our program. Thank you so much for coming on our Father's Day show, Dameron Majette body worker and martial arts trainer and so many more, so many other things. Um, yes. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much for having me. Hello, this is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you've been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 40, Raising Good Men, which has aired for the first time on WLOB Radio on June 17th, 2012, Father's Day. Our guests today included... Roger Martin and Drew Wing of the Boys to Men organization, and Dameron Midget of Body Knowledge. We hope that this week, as every week, you will be inspired by the words of our guest to go out and live your life more fully. Thank you so much for being a part of our world. Happy Father's Day, everyone. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, Booth, UNE, the University of New England, and Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded in downtown Portland at the offices of Maine Magazine on 75 Market Street. It is produced by Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belisle. Editorial content produced by Genevieve Morgan. Audio production and original music 
by John C. McCain. Our assistant producer is Jane Pate. For more information on our hosts, production team, main magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, visit us at doctorlisa.org. And tune in every Sunday at 11 a.m. for the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour on WLOB Portland, Maine, 1310 a.m., or streaming WLOBradio.com. Show summaries are available at doctorlisa.org. Download and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial through iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details.